We begin today's Abounding Grace with these words from our pastor and teacher, Ed Taylor. Realize the days in which you live. Buy back the time. Live it to its fullest as time passes so quickly. Here today, gone tomorrow. Live daily as unto the Lord, moment by moment. A few years ago, a psychologist did a study. They asked 300 people this question. What do you have to live for? What do you have to live for? 94% of those people that they were surveyed said that they were simply enduring the present while they were waiting for the future. Just trying to get through the day. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. It's time for Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Tanner. We'll meet you in 1 Kings 16 today. Ephesians 5.16 exhorts us to redeem the time because the days are evil. Question is, are you making the most of the opportunities before you? Today we'll learn from some kings in Israel's history that steered off in the wrong direction. Through their example, we'll be encouraged to both know and redeem the time. 1 Kings chapter 16. 1 Kings is in the Old Testament. We're in chapter 16 following along the history of the kings that came after David and Solomon. It's a pretty discouraging study because of so much failure. Out of the 19 kings of the northern kingdom, none were good. No good kings of Israel. And in the southern kingdom of 20 kings, there were eight that were good. And as you'll see today, there's this phrase that's used, you followed the evil example of Jeroboam or something like that. They were, or, or even we'll see today, there was, you, they did more evil than anyone else. And I don't know about you, I don't ever want that to be describing my life. He did more evil than everyone that came before you. But thus we learn from the bad examples. And notice with me verse 1 of chapter 16. Then the word of the Lord came to Jehu, the son of Hanani, against Baasha, saying... Inasmuch as I lifted you out of the dust and made you ruler over my people Israel, and you have walked in the way of Jeroboam and have made my people Israel sin to provoke me to anger with their sins, surely I'll take away the posterity of Baasha and the posterity of his house, and I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Verse 4. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Baasha, and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the fields. Now the rest of the acts of Baasha, what he did in his mind, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So he rested with his fathers and was buried in Tirzah. Then Elah, his son, reigned in his place. And also the word of the Lord came by the prophet Jehu, the son of Hanani, against Baasha and his house, because of all the evil that he did in the sight of the Lord, in provoking him to anger with the work of his hands, in being like the house of Jeroboam, and because he killed them. Now after the death of King Baasha, his son Elah takes the throne. 
His son Elah takes the throne. We learn that in verse 8. It was the 26th year of Asa, king of Judah. Elah, the son of Baasha, becomes king over Israel and reigned two years in Terzah. And there's just this evil reign after evil reign after evil reign. And Baasha was as bad as Jeroboam. And like King Jeroboam, King Baasha could not avoid the judgment of God. He couldn't sidestep it. He, he didn't just tempt the people to sin, but according to verse 2, he caused people to sin. I lifted you out of the dust, he said. I made you ruler, but you have made my people Israel sin. It wasn't just leading them into the sin. He, he was setting up his kingdom that made people sin. And then his son comes on the scene, verse 9. His servant Zimri, commander of half of his chariots, conspired against him as he was in Terza, drinking himself drunk in the house of Arza, steward of his house in Terza. And Zimri went in and struck him and killed him in the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. Then it came to pass when he began to reign, as soon as he was seated on his throne, that he killed all the household of Baasha. He did not leave him one male, neither of his kinsmen nor of his friends. Verse 12. Thus Zimri destroyed all the household of Baasha, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke against Baasha by Jehu the prophet. For all the sins of Baasha and the sins of Elah his son, by which they had sinned and by which they had made Israel sin, in provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. Now the rest of the acts of Elah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? The fourth king of the northern kingdom of Israel was as, just as predicted. He was killed along with the entire royal family. And I don't want you to miss this, and I want to pause here for a second to not just read over it. Because in our culture, uh, alcohol and drugs are very acceptable. They're becoming more and more acceptable within the church. They're becoming more and more acceptable within the leadership of the church. And I just want to remind you of something that's very important here in verse 9. It says, His servant Zimri, commander of half of his chariots, conspired against him as he was in Terza, doing what? Drinking himself drunk in the house of Arza, steward of his house in Terza. The Bible is clear. It is not a sin to drink alcohol. You can search all throughout the scriptures and you will not find one scripture in the entirety of the Bible that says drinking alcohol is a sin. But I'd also suggest, if you're looking for verses like that, you also won't find a verse anywhere in the Bible that says rubbing poison ivy all over you is a sin. And you're at, Ed, what are you talking about? This is what I'm talking about. Wisdom. Wisdom. This has become such a cultural thing. It's become such a hip thing. And it's become such a cool thing that people throw wisdom out the window. You add, I'd never rub poison ivy all over my body. Why? Why not? Well, because I don't want to be itchy for the next three weeks. Smart. That's a wise decision. Now, in our culture, in our state in particular, with the lawmakers looking to increase tax revenue, they've made a certain leafy substance legal that you can wrap and you can smoke and you can find yourself completely taken out of your rational thinking by getting high. 
But I don't see anybody wrapping up poison ivy and smoking it. I don't see anybody going out and taking the grass in, in their front lawn and smoking it. Why? Well, because of the intent. Wisdom and intent are very important things. Just because the Bible doesn't say something is sin doesn't mean that it's wise, doesn't mean that it's smart, and doesn't mean it's the right path for you to take. And we can take that and cover it in much, much of our decision-making in the gray areas or in the areas that we have freedom. So let's, let's repeat this. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that drinking is a sin, but drunkenness is always sinful. Drunkenness is always sinful and causes great problems for those under the influence. And of course, we have to add the influence of legal marijuana, other types of legal drugs. And let me show you something. And go over to Ephesians with me, chapter 5, as we're reminded of the importance of sobriety and clear-headedness. In order to be useful to the Lord, it's important that our minds are clear. And, And while we'll get to verse 18, let's start in verse 15, because that's the important context of what Paul is telling the church. Paul's telling the church this. Paul is declaring this to the church, to the believers in corrupt Ephesus, first century, filled with paganism, filled with anti-God sentiments, filled with with those that are not willing and not wanting to follow God. God has put a beachhead in the city. It's called the church. A church that's going to influence and be very different from the culture around it. A church that lives, uh, the church which is made up of people that is going to live by a different principle. The believers of the church are going to live in a different king, in a different kingdom with dual citizenship. While we have citizenship on earth, and God would have us to be faithful to our citizenship, ultimately, and in preeminence, we're citizens of heaven. And we live by a different king, for a different kingdom, for a different end. So this is what he says to the church in Ephesus, and this is what he says to the church in Aurora. And for those of you listening on the radio, whether you're listening live right now on Grace FM, or you're listening around the country on one of the 60 or 70 stations that our radio program is on, this is what the word of the Lord is. He says, see then, verse 15, chapter 5, that you walked carefully. I know your Bible says circumspectly, but it means carefully. Walk carefully. Don't be foolish but wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, he says it a second time, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Walk carefully, walk uprightly, do things wisely, not foolishly. Understand the days, realize the days in which you live, Buy back the time. Live it to its fullest as time passes so quickly. Here today, gone tomorrow. Live daily as unto the Lord, moment by moment. A few years ago, a psychologist did a study. They asked 300 people this question. What do you have to live for? What do you have to live for? 94% of those people that they were surveyed said that they were simply enduring the present while they were waiting for the future. Just trying to get through today. Most people said, I'm just trying to get through today because tomorrow's going to be better. I'm just trying to get through today because tomorrow's going to be better. So here we are. A majority of people, 95%, would say, I'm waiting for that big something to happen, for that big breakthrough to happen. 
Uh, Some would say, I'm waiting for the kids to grow up and move out. Until they grow up and move out, and then you cry as they do. It's sad. (laughs) So you're like, the kids are running around, breaking things and all over the place, and you're like, I can't wait to... No, 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 just take it back. Enjoy your kids. They'll be gone soon enough. Enjoy your kids. Waiting for the kids to grow up. Waiting for that big promotion. When I finally get that raise, when I, when I finally get that place, when I finally attain that position, then. But today, I don't like it today, but I'm waiting. One day, it's going to be. And then you're wasting today while you're waiting for tomorrow. I, I'm waiting for that publisher's clearinghouse van to show up in front of my house and not walk across the streets. They go, wait, 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 wrong address. Bring that big check over here, man. You know how many magazines I bought? And while we're letting today slip right out of our hands, waiting for tomorrow, we're losing today. We're losing today. Paul says, you guys, walk uprightly and and be wise. Make wise decisions. Understand the days in which we live. They're evil. They're evil. Which path will you take? Remember, Jesus described our walk with Jesus as a narrow path. Some believe that that's just the beginning. Like it's just a narrow path. But, but he describes life as, as narrow. There's a narrow gate you come in. It's not like you come in the narrow gate and then everything wide, wide open after that. It's narrow all the way. And God is taking you down step by step, making your decisions. It's not the wide gate that everyone goes on. It's not the wide gate that everyone can fit through. It's the narrow life. It's the narrow life of holiness and righteousness. In these last days, Jesus has raised up a bride, a light to the world, and that's us, the church. But lines are being blurred today. It's hard to make a distinction of whether you're really a believer or not by your behavior, by your words. They have a whole new generation rising up, calling themselves believers, living like, looking like, sounding like the world. All in the name of relevance and all in the name of, well, whatever the popular new thing is on Facebook or some blog or some new podcast, whatever the new popular thing is. And an interesting thing happens to the Christian. The more you hang out abiding in Christ, the more you become like him. And the more you hang out abiding in the world, the more you become like the world. Now, don't misunderstand me. Even as Pastor Wayne was up here sharing about the inroads into the community, I'm in no way advocating, which would be completely biblical if I did, but I'm not. There's no way I'm advocating for us to pull out of the world, hide in our little Christian holy huddle, and never interact, never love, never befriend, never care for those that are dying and going to hell, just like you and I were. That would be unwise. But what also be unwise is if the believer thinks, if you as a follower of Christ think that the more you hang out in the world, the more you do things of the world, that you're not going to become like the world, you're self-deceived. It was while this guy was drinking himself drunk. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Because most people that get drunk don't plan on getting drunk. 
they drink themselves drunk. Now, I don't know what level of drunkenness is for each person. And the, 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 they, they have measurements that are based on your, your blood alcohol content, about how much you weigh compared to how much you take in. So that means there's no one standard for everyone here. For someone listening to me right now, two drinks would put you out of control. For others, you've drunk so much that it would take a whole bottle to take you out. But because of, because of the diversity, you still have to do this you still have to drink yourself drunk. Nobody does it to you. You do it to yourself. And I haven't met one drunk person, not one in my entire life, especially all the years I hung out with drunk people and was one myself. I haven't met one that didn't take the first drink. You gotta take the first drink. The pathway to drunkenness is always the first drink. That's just the word of the Lord to someone listening. This is right here in 1 Kings, right where we are. Where was he taken advantage of? By, it looks like from the text, his right-hand guy, the guy that he trusts, the guy that's right next to him, or you could say in application, his buddy, his friend. When was it that his friend decided this was the opportune time? While he was drinking himself drunk. Now, many of you know my background. This was my background. This would have been my verse. This was my life. And it didn't start that way. I still remember it like it was yesterday. The very first drink of alcohol I ever took. It was a shared can of beer with a couple other kids graduating from sixth grade to junior high. I remember the house we were in. I remember what we were doing. I remember it all. That's where it started. If you would have told me, look, kid, this one action is going to ruin the next 15 years of your life or 12 years of your life, whatever the math is, I would have not believed you. I would have shrugged you off. I would have told you, no way. There's no way. And then over the years, that changed to, I can handle it, to over the years, no officer, no officer, I'm sober. Well, sir, come on outside of the car. And would you walk this line for me? Would you take this breathalyzer for me? Nobody would have been able to convince me. I wasn't a believer, of course. And by the time I was 23, by the time I was 23, I had drank, so, so you're looking probably 11, 10, 11 years now. I had done more bad things by the time I was 23 than most people do in their life. And God rescued me in an instant. And, and he did a work quickly. I believed him when he said I could be sober. I believed him when he told me from, the, from this, from a pulpit just like this, that I'm a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. I know not everyone has that experience where immediately uh, you're delivered from these addictions, but I was immediately and instantly. So what have I chosen to do as, as I've stepped into ministry, knowing what the Bible says. I know what the Bible says, it's not a sin to drink. I, I know what the Bible says, that it is a sin to be drunk. And truly, I believe God has delivered me, and that doesn't tempt me anymore. But what have I chosen to do? I'll tell you what I've chosen to do. I have chosen to abstain from alcohol. Why? For you. That's why. For you. I could go through this whole room for every single one of you, and you go, well, I don't need you to do that for me. Fine, I'm still doing it for you. 
and I'm doing it for your kids. You're listening to Abounding Grace with Ed Taylor. And Ed, as we closed, you briefly shared why you personally have made the decision not to drink alcohol. Some might be thinking this is being legalistic. In reality, it's a matter of wisdom. You'll touch on this tomorrow, but could you give us a preview? Yes, Larry, I'm so glad you asked this because I can't tell you how often I'm accused of legalism when I encourage the abstinence from alcohol and drugs. You know, the Bible says not to be drunk with wine, which is an excess, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know, some might be surprised to learn that the Bible does not condemn the drinking of alcohol, just a drink of alcohol, as sinful. Drunkenness absolutely is sinful, but drinking alcohol is never called sinful. And so because of that, many people seeing that freedom available to them decide to drink. Um, The only problem is, is that number one, um, it's hard to drink unto the Lord. Number two, it's hard to be a good example to those that are weak and stumbling when it comes to alcohol. And number three, how do you know when you're impaired? Um, the idea that, you know, you, you speak to, we have a lot of police officers in our church, and, and I'll tell you what, every time they pull over someone that's under the influence, almost every time the person says, oh, I only had a couple drinks, I'm not under the influence, because they weren't able to lose track. Now, even by now, some people are going, oh, Ed, come on, I can do whatever I want. And indeed, as you pray and seek the Lord, you can do whatever you want unto the Lord. But what I suggest is, which scriptures will you emphasize in your life? Because you know, where somebody might go and say, well, look at what Jesus did at a wedding, he made wine. Or they might go back to where Paul said to Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach's sake and say, see, you can drink. But then when you turn to the Proverbs, when a mom is speaking to her son about godly leadership, and and before you dismiss that, just understand this is inspired of God. So it's not merely a mom giving wisdom, but is the the very word of God to a leader, to someone that's taking leadership, Uh, The Bible says, it is not for kings, O Lemuel, it's not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink. And so in the areas of uh, uh, gray areas, I just choose and I encourage folks to choose the path of wisdom, and it's just not wise to drink. It just doesn't lead to anything good. It may not necessarily lead to anything bad for some people, and I would agree with that. Uh, and I would not argue with you, neither would I judge you for it. But when you're listening to me in, in, in teaching biblical advice, I want to teach you toward, toward deeper holiness, not less holiness. And to those that might say, well, you're just being legalistic, or I even had one brother say, well, you know, your pastor uh, sp- said this of me. Oh, you know, your pastor, he grew up with a problem with alcohol, so he really needs that. Um, no, 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 no. I did grow up with a problem with alcohol, but God delivered me, and he's my strength. And so the reality of my counsel is to point people to the Lord so not only will they be strong, but they won't stumble anyone else. So I I look forward to teaching on this. I look forward to you being encouraged, and I look forward for us serving the Lord. We don't have to agree on this matter, uh, and I wouldn't require that to be friends or anything like that. But I would ask you to consider and just prayerfully consider what benefit drinking alcohol would bring to your life and to your life of discipleship for other people. And as you bring it before the Lord, he will lead and guide you. Thanks, Larry. Thanks for sharing that, Ed. And friend, if you'd like to hear this message again, log on to calvaryaurora.org and do a search for 1 Kings 16. 
Still looking for a stocking stuffer or a meaningful gift for that special someone in your life? I'd like to suggest our resource of the month, a book by Lee Strobel called The Case for Christ. Taking the approach of a journalist, Lee Strobel recalls his own spiritual journey from an atheist to faith in Jesus. He poses questions like, how reliable is the Bible? Does evidence for Jesus exist outside the Word of God? And is there any reason to believe the resurrection actually happened? We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Please remember this radio ministry is made possible through your generous support. And as the year comes to an end, this would be a wonderful time to hear from you. It'll serve to help us finish the year strong. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or go online to calvaryaurora.org. You can also write to Abounding Grace, 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado, 80013. We'll get back into 1 Kings tomorrow on Abounding Grace as Pastor Ed Taylor continues through this Old Testament book with us. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado. 